Oh, this is good. All right, Chris, take your beer, drink. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Publish, Perish or Podcast, your opportunity to look behind the scenes of science and see if science snores. I'm Andrew Stapleton and joining me today are Christopher Gibson. G'day. And Cameron Shearer. Hi. All right, first of all, do you guys snore? I snore like a motherfucker. Yeah, I knew it. I mean, yeah. I snore like a chainsaw <laughs> yeah. going through concrete. Absolutely. Yep. I imagine, Do yep. you? does your wife have to wear earplugs? Anything like that? Uh, no, no, but I do get comments sometimes the next day, uh, often from the kids. So my like, daughter, my daughter Shauna will go, kids or? Daddy, I heard you snoring last night. It was really, really loud. Yeah, okay. yeah. And my response is, oh, well, darling, that's life. That's what happens. Mm. Yep. Men snore. Yep. Gross old men snore. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. the price you pay. All right, Cameron, I'm going to say that you don't snore unless you've had red wine. So that's most evenings. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, oh, well, excuse me. <laughs> He's a drinker. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I, I, and also when I'm sick. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, sick. You can't help. Commonly, me. I'd, I'd hear like you were snoring last night. Mm-hmm. Are you sick? <laughs> oh, because they normally nice. come together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what about you, Andy? Um, I sleep. Imagine an angel sleeping. That's me. Mm, With the Lord. wings and the feathers and just the cherub well, sparkly not, bits. Not so many feathers, really. No. So, oh, sorry. Well, by feathers, you, I mean hair. You kill a bird. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you wake up with dead like birds in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I don't snore very often, but sometimes I do. Uh, it's And it's normally if I have had a fair bit to drink. Mm, yeah. And yeah. I'll just do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yep, of course. But then, what about science? Does science sleep? Oh, that is a fucking that is a better question <laughs> than does it snore? Um, science never sleeps. It never does because uh, somewhere around the world, yep. at all moments, science is being done. Yeah, mm. so it can't sleep. Apart from Earth Hour, you know where you've got to go to a park and read by candlelight. Um, yeah. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, that's the only time science does yeah. That sounds doesn't familiar. What about, so, I mean, we, we've already worked out when science began, which was at the beginning of that reasoning. Who, who was your mate? To it was uh, Aristotle and who was the other guy? Richard Bacon. Richard yes. Bacon. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was Richard Bacon. Very good. We really needed Richard Bacon photo in this room. Uh, we do, yeah. <laughs> Question, it probably doesn't sleep, uh, but, but if it if, did... Yeah, okay. If it did, would science snore? I think that it will be so tired that yeah. when it finally does sleep, it'll yeah. really it will it'll snore. Just, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. That that's good logic there. Yeah. So it will be yeah. one of those times where it like instantly falls asleep. Yeah. And then instantly on the back, mouth open, mm-hmm. kind yeah. of like rattling. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm expecting. Uh, news from the week. Uh, Christopher, no, uh, Cameron, <laughs> any news? <laughs> I could see you taking oh, a breath, like, <laughs> and it got so long. I was like, oh god, this is going to be a long one. I tell you what, I'm the main course, and you guys are the aper- <laughs> the aperitifs and the hors d'oeuvres. You guys go first, and then aperitifs. Gonna- aperitif. Yeah. No, it's aperitif. aperitif. That's the one. Cameron, 
All right, I got a bit of news that I want to share. Ooh. All right, so um, good journal, nature. Mm. Good journal, nature, nano, nature materials, mm-hmm. yeah. and all the way down. There are lots of really good ones there. Yep. 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 They have another one in nature <gasps> where the author needs to pay quite a lot of money. And then so there, the, the quality is not quite as good, but it's still good. And this is nature. Scientific reports. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we we, whoa, we know whoa, plenty whoa, whoa, of people. Whoa. Have you got one in Nature no, Scientific what, Reports, Chris? What do you mean you pay? I didn't know this. Yeah, it's like five thousand dollars. Really? Uh, <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, now you know how it works. <laughs> okay, yeah, yep. I have heard of it, but no, I haven't published in it before. No. All right, so I didn't bring it along, but I showed Chris already, so I have to ask him to verify. Mm-hmm. Chris, yep. I sent you the paper today about the triangular phosphorine. Absolutely, yes, yes. And here they had AFM images, which mm-hmm. Chris and I are pretty good at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, you're okay as well. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Why, thank you. So he does it too, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right, and where they saw everything was a triangle. Yep. Yep. And sometimes in AFM imaging, when you see everything's a triangle... You start to think that's tip convolution. You certainly could think of that. Very yeah. good, very yeah. good. And it's because if the tip that you use to image becomes blunt, yep. it looks like a triangle. It is shaped like a triangle. Yep. yep. And so anyone who knows AFM will know that if you're getting all triangles, all pointing the same direction, it's probably yep. an imaging artifact. Yep. So the paper on Nature Scientific Reports said... Triangular phosphorine. Yes. <laughs> and the only evidence they provided was well, they had AFM with where yep. it's triangular phosphorine everywhere. Yeah. And they had one SEM and one TEM showing a single one, yeah. triangular thing. Those and some ramen. Sneaky but, but, buggers. But yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, the thing that Chris doesn't know, Ooh. nature scientific reports allows for comments. <gasps> I commented on that paper. Yes. God, look at you picking fights. Whoa, eh? good on you, man. All right. So yeah. on you. I haven't said anything bad about them, yep. but I haven't brought it word for word and we can post it up on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all open access. That's one of the reasons why the user has to pay $5,000. Yeah. I said, uh, if you Im- in AFM imaging, if you see triangles all shaped in the same direction, it's commonly related to a tip artifact from tip bluntening. Yep. If what the authors really see are triangular pits of phosphorine, they would see them arranged in many different directions. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes. Did they claim that they were supposed to be aligned? They didn't say anything about them being aligned. No. They're in trouble. <laughs> and in the paper, they didn't try and argue that it wasn't tip artifacts. Well, I'm sure if you thought about it, the possibility, you would... Do an experiment to make sure they're not. I am. So, I'm so pleased you. You. You didn't strike me as a sort of person that would pick a fight. <laughs> and I'm so pleased you have. If the podcast didn't exist, I would not have done it. <laughs> really? I'm interested uh, to know how where this goes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, and I've posted as Cameron Shearer, so they can search me up. Yeah. To see that you know I've got some you AFM. Uh, bring it swing. on. You got bring some credentials. On. Bring it you're, on. You're packing so heat. Watch this space. Yeah, it's been no, one. Really it's been one Korean day since then, and yeah. there's no no reply. Mm. Ah, mm. that's that's excellent. I have another bit of news. So last time we spoke together, I mentioned about how uh, listener Mark Bissett obtained a permanent position. 
New job news. Ooh. Another person I did a PhD with has been in between jobs for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Recently picked up a one-year contract. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, Adam. Congratulations, Adam. Oh, this is Adam. Dr. Adam oh, Blanche. Congratulations, Adam. Blanche. Adam. Yep. Yep. Well done, Melbourne. Adam. Well done, my friend. And Good I job. was a reference for Adam for that job. Oh, did they call you up? Uh, I got an email and a phone call. Oh, they really wanted him. Mm, mm. I sung his praises. I sung his praises. Yeah. yeah. He's well deserved, though. He's a great scientist. Anyway, well done. You know, he, he did tell me that apparently they. They told him that he got over the line because of his ref- reference reports. Ooh. Ah, okay. Did he tell you that? No, he didn't tell me that. Well, he, no. he probably never will. No, no. <laughs> well done, no, Chris. But I'm glad I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christopher Gibson, news. All right, people. It's the big one. <laughs> Here we go. So, just some, uh, some housekeeping. Um, that's a, a new term I learned listening to some other podcasts. <laughs> housekeeping. It's where you talk about some some Some, some, some normal details. stuff. Yeah. So, um, Sightwatch, Gibbo's Sightwatch. Yeah. Web of Science core collection up to 997. All right. This is the only one that hasn't passed 1,000 The only yet. one that hasn't got past 1,000. All right. Boring. Carry on. Don't ask questions. Um, and now, uh, the big news. Um, I'd like to read a prepared statement. Oh, look at this. What the fuck is going on? Christopher Gibson. (laughs) Gibbo's prepared statement, Wednesday, 7th September, 2016. Those who know me know that I am a modest man, a man who quietly toils and labours for the benefit (laughs) and success of others, rarely rarely seeking the spotlight for himself. A man who has always carried himself with a certain quiet dignity. <laughs> what the is, fuck is, this is going on? why I didn't see you today? Is <laughs> as, as I said, a, a man who carries himself with a certain quiet dignity. The University of Cambridge in England, where I did a rather successful three-year postdoc, taught me the value of these traits. However, I must speak openly, and some might say somewhat immodestly, about a paper on which I am a co-author along with some other people, which has recently been accepted into the prestigious journal Review Scientific Instruments. 2015 impact factor (laughs) 1.336. This paper tackles one of the great scientific and technical challenges of modern science. And what are some of these challenges, I hear you ask? They are, in no particular order, the development of clean and renewable energy. What? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning and ultimate fate of the universe. The accurate calibration of the spring constant of atomic force microscope. <laughs> the unification of relativity and quantum mechanics into a single theory. And finally, a complete cure for male pattern baldness, which affects a great many unfortunate men, including our beloved Andy Stapleton, founder, Fuck off. founder of PPP. <laughs> The paper in question, of course, tackles and solves the problem of AFM cantilever calibration, which has plagued science for now 20 years. That's almost as long as you've been an adult. In the coming podcasts, I will give more prepared statements on this (laughs) seminal work and the dreams it has made come true. Thank you. God, Gibbo, what the fuck was that? All right. Maybe we should just do Gibbo's podcast where he talks about all his papers and how awesome they are. Okay. 
Andy, any news? Yes. Oh. All right. So only yes. very quickly. Um, this week. No, I, take your time. I will. Ah, uh, so <laughs> this week. This I is fucking it. hell! You've had your go. <laughs> Stop squid! Look at you having a heart attack. You're right. It's my Muttley laugh. All right. All right. What's, right. The, what's that dog cartoon? Muttley. Yeah, Muttley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heard it before. I do laugh like Muttley. Sorry. All right. Continue. Oh yeah. Oh, thanks, Chris. Continue. Thank you. Thanks, Gibbo. Thanks. Um, this week I was interviewed on a, another podcast, um, so a shout out to Gary Bridgman. Um, I'll sort of put out when I get on that. I was a little bit concerned. I was very rambly, um, we'll so it'll be interesting out. to see what happened. I yeah. think I came off as a crazed sitcom person who didn't really know what they were talking about. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so that's good. That, and is, that is you, Andy. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah, that's it. I think we'll just see your Yeah, actually, passion. why am I concerned? <laughs> yeah, be yourself, right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right, yeah. Crazy Psycom. It will be great. That's good. Excellent. Um, and I think that's it. That's all I've got. Um, this week has been nice. I Actually, my poos have been very consistent. Mm. I don't mm. know why. What does that mean? Text, like, texture or time? You mean consta- constantly liquid or uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rusty water? Constantly dry pebbles. <laughs> But one thing I have got is a listener question. Ooh. So this is from, believe it or not, our forum. Whoa. Oh my God, it wasn't just us posting in there. Yeah. Um, this is a person uh, who said, I'm a director of photography in film and advertising. Okay. The color green has more shades than any other. Is there a scientific reason for this? Um, and do you use green in order to see more depth and detail when using microscopes or any other sciencey utensil? Um, so, anyone got an answer for him? Uh, so, green's used not so much anymore, but it was like the cathode ray oscilloscope. You're seeing like the the little instrument which bounces up and down with yeah, like that, detects that radio green. waves and electricity uh, and stuff. And I think Chris, early SEMs. I think you were getting a green screen. Absolutely. And Absolutely. our current TEM. A little bit old. Yep. You're yep. getting a green screen, and that's because uh, there's a phosphor film you can put on, which luminesces green when electrons hit it. Yep. Exactly. Mm. Uh, and then uh, I don't know, Chris. What do you got for the, why are there so many shades? So I don't think there are any more shades of green than there are any other other colours. All other colours will have the same shades. The difference is our eyes have evolved to detect green better than any other wavelength. Mm, very yes. good. Interesting. Very good. And that's an evolutionary reason. It's so we can look at plants and tell whether they're poisonous or not. Apparently, the color green helps with that. And yeah. also, we can see animals eating those green plants because we are omnivorous. Yeah. And Andy can look at his poos and work out uh, <laughs> how, how green they changed. are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm, this shade of green's different. <laughs> so, uh, so Cameron's quite right. Uh, green used in those instruments, which I... Didn't think of, actually. The only other instrument I can think of where green is used a lot is if you've ever seen uh, optically enhanced images, you know, like the SWAT teams. and you know, Night like vision? Night vision goggles. Yeah. They, same, same type of reason. Exactly. They use green because we detect that much better than any other colour. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's another. That's, yeah, it's I good. Mean, so, in, so I had a, look, a quick sort of research, and in the eye, there's two different types of cells. You've got cone cells and rod cells rods detect uh, intensity of light and cone cells detect color and in the eye there are three types i think they're just sml like small medium and large oh, okay. <laughs> i think that's all it was but <laughs> yeah. anyway so 
two of those, the detection is over the green area. Okay. So essentially, you've got two different types of cells that are detecting similar colors, specifically in the green. Yeah. So it adds an extra level of complexity for the brain to analyze. Um, so that's, yeah, the physiological reason, oh, I guess. Very good. That... We all attack that from different oh. angles. Oh. Thank you very much, Lee. Mm. Our first ever forum question. Yeah. And we, we answer the shit out of it, right? Fucking we shit. Oh, fucking what the what? What, what, what? <laughs> so Lee also asked another question, which was Christopher Gibson. Um, uh, they once read that if you had more than 61 cups of coffee in one day, it would kill you. Is this true? Oh, I never. I didn't actually read that part. So mm. It was a um, very long post. <laughs> I, I did some research um, just on the caffeine side of it. And apparently, look, I, I saw a few different websites and they said that 10 grams of caffeine will kill you. Yes. Um, and a cup of coffee has about 100 milligrams. Yep. So therefore, 100 cups of coffee would do it. Yeah. Now, depending on your body size, 61 would certainly kill some people yep. of smaller than like average children, stature. Like children, toddlers. Yeah. But I thought about it and I thought, what about the toxicity of the amount of water that is in coffee? Oh, Christopher Gibson. And six litres of water will kill kill you. you. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so good. And six litres of water, say say most of your cup of coffee is water, which it probably is. Yeah. You're looking at, uh, let me see, 150 mils in a cup of coffee. I think that's a low ball, but... Yeah, okay. Or it may be even higher than that. Yeah. So therefore, um, to get to, uh, uh, say, six litres of water, you only need 40 cups of coffee. So you'll die of water toxicity before, before you'll die of caffeine. caffeine. What a great wow. answer, Christopher Gibson. Chris, well done, Chris. You, you are bringing it today. But which, oh, way, yes. which way would you rather go? Too much water or too much caffeine? Oh, Jesus. Um, so I, I did look up what happens with the caffeine and it doesn't sound pleasant. Um, first mm. of all, you have chronic diarrhea, you get really, really bad shakes, and then you basically have a heart attack. Ooh. I don't know what happens with water toxicity. I think you just, you just drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's a liver failure thing. Yeah, oh, right. Shit, okay. That could be quite bad then. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'd want the one that would make me pass out. The quickest. the quickest, yeah. So I don't know what that is. Oh, that could yeah. be another thing we look up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we could actually run the experiment with you. <laughs> Do I do I have, do I have to be the guinea pig? Um, yeah, no one will find out if I get to a thousand. <laughs> what? Of, how will humanity cope? Well, thank you for uh, the questions, Lee. Thank yeah. you, Lee. Thanks, Lee. Not my brother. Yeah! Gentlemen, our topic for today is science metrics. So let's okay. just give a little thing. So essentially. Ooh. Scientists need metrics, or mm-hmm. at least they feel like they need metrics to compare each other yep. and to compare mm-hmm. universities okay. and to compare papers and journals and all these things. There's so many numbers. Yeah. I mean, how, how else can I know that you're better than me or other way around or Chris is better than me? I like the way you. you went that way because we know you're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do we know? Well, that's right, because we have... Well, good segue. So... For scientists, we have this thing called a H-index. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to say it properly. Individuals. An H-index. An H Very index. good. H-index. Yeah. Very good. Um, it's a safe place here. Is, oh, thank you so much. I'm so <laughs> nervous. Um, Chris, 
Yes. What is an H index? Uh, I've been thinking about that and I don't know how to define it without reading it off Wikipedia because it is actually a really hard thing to define. Cameron, <laughs> um, can you define an H yeah, index? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Go. So it's a number. Each scientist has a single number. And it is the... Uh, it is hard, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's difficult. I can't do it. All right, I've got it for you. The H index is an author-level metric that attempts to measure both the productivity and the citation impact of the publications yeah. of a scientist or That's scholar. That's what I was trying to say. The index is based on the set of the scientists' most cited papers and the number of citations that they have received in other publications. So This is becoming hard to follow. It's, it's hard, mm. isn't it? So yeah. my, H, my H index is six. That means I have six papers with six citations or more. Or more. Or yep. more. Yeah. yeah. And that's essentially it. So it's N number of papers where N is any integer mm -hmm. with N number of citations. Yeah. So N Cameron, let's yeah. get dirty. What's your number? <coughs> Nine. That's good. That's really good. Chris? Uh, according to Scopus, Oh, 18. Jesus Christ. <laughs> according to Web of Science, 18. Okay, 18. So that means you've got 18 papers with 18 or more citations. At least 18 papers with 18 or more citations. That's yep. correct. And then Cameron, you're the same thing, but with nine. Yeah, nine yep. papers with nine or more citations. Yeah, yep. And the question is, is this... So does that rank us in this room appropriately for... Being a good scientist? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say that because it 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 favours people who've been in science longer. So I've had a much longer career than either of you. So yeah. my H index should be higher. Yeah. But it also favours people in fields where there are more people in that field. So you're more likely to get a citation in a popular field than if you were in a very specific field where yeah. you're the only person working in it, for instance. Yep, yeah, that's true. So it also favours the type of research where you can get lots of papers out. Mm -hmm. So there was a guy during my PhD. Um, he's, it, it doesn't detract from how great a scientist he was, but his, his research allowed him to publish nine papers a mm -hmm. year. Wow. Oh, right? Wow. Because it was iterative. It, it was like the same technique, but for different molecules. It was a mm. very fundamental study. And so he did brilliantly and he was a great scientist but that meant that and also because it was new and it was exciting it was all it was just like the perfect the perfect storm of citations and and stuff so his age index just skyrocketed mm. you know like yep. it was yep. just so good um whereas in other fields you just don't have that opportunity to publish as, as often as this guy did yeah um yeah so it certainly favors people in different ways yeah um so is it useful should we use it i mean i think uh, i think a better a better metric would probably be what they call the m index What's so that m index so that's where you take your your h index and you divide it by and this this varies a little bit the definition h index divided by the number of years since your first publication okay so that's that's accounting for what you were saying which is the career length yeah exactly now, some would say from the from the year of your first publication. Some people would say from the first year where you published more than one paper, because mm, mm -hmm. you, you could end up getting a paper in your undergrad or your yep. honours, and then you don't publish again for another three years or something. Yeah, and so that would favour against you. But um, that'll have a lesser effect. Yeah, yeah. So that that scales it a bit more in terms of um, you know 
how long your career is, you know. Right. Did you calculate your M index? Uh, my, no, I, I didn't actually. No, because it's a smaller number. Of course well, you didn't. <laughs> I, can, I can quickly calculate it now. It would be, uh, so my first paper came out in 95. So that's 21 years since then. So that's 18 on 21. So I don't have an M index more than one. But if I go from the first year I published one more than one paper, mm-hmm. that's 1997. So it's 18 on 19. So I still am not quite there. Oh, Cameron's... Cameron, are you winning? What a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) So I first published in 2008. Mm -hmm. Eight years ago. Yeah. Nine nine papers. uh, Nine uh, agenetics nine. So I'm at Mm. 1.1.25. Yeah, I've I've cooled a bit on the M index. I'm not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) It is that great a measure. And this M index, (laughs) so we're looking for a number greater than one. Is that what people are looking for? One or more is what people want. Yeah. 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 Good. So I have a third one. Ooh, uh, unless excellent. you have uh, no, more no, questions no. on Go that. Go for it. So I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't actually. This one's. I think this one's good, but I couldn't work it out for myself because okay. it's actually a little bit more difficult. It's the author impact factor. Ooh. So this one, it's Ooh. the you take the number of citations over the last two years, and you divide by the articles in the last two years. Right. So and I think it's, you're like, actually supposed to take the citations of your last two years' as articles as well. So it's more like a recent relevance oh, okay. factor. So it's yep. only really looking at what you've done in the last two years. Wow. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it's meaning that for each publication you do, they all need to be quality yeah. Yeah. to get citations. Because so a lot this, of people can have yeah. like one or two papers with lots of citations. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and then a, a bunch with very little citations yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I've never heard of that one. I think as soon as a metric becomes like the thing that you use, yeah. people start gaming it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, right? and, you, you and there's ways those. to game yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You, you can adjust your H index with self sites and things like that. You yeah. know, uh, I, I heard one where there was a guy actually put on the web five ways to increase your H index easily. And one is going to a bunch, go to conferences. Yeah, where Web of Science and Scopus will count those conference papers. Oh, yeah. So yeah. these are conference proceedings. Oh, yeah, which so are, you're paying the conference registration fee. Yep. Those papers to are... get citations. Yeah, they're probably not um, refereed as thoroughly as journal articles. Yeah. They're probably almost guaranteed to get in. And yep. you cite your own work very, very heavily in those. Yeah. And Scopus and Web of Science will count them and then your H-index yep. will go up. And so. then there's different places as well that give you your H-index. So... There's yep. um, Scholar, yeah. there's Scopus, there's Web of... Like, there's all these things, yep. and each one will capture different citations. Like, I think Scholar used to be, for me, the best. Used to get, When I was down at three, it used to give me one more or something. Mm-hmm. But now it doesn't. Now, now um, I ah. think Scopus gives me the best one at six. Okay, cool. Um, yep. But yeah, it's strange. So, so there are ways of, of gaming it. And to be, you know, what, with whatever we choose, there's always going to be people... That, that use the game it that, that oh, play absolutely. the game and, and yeah. I mean what so who is this number most useful to so my feeling mm. would be it's it's useful to those people in government who are who are allocating funds and it's a way of reducing us to a number so they can go straight away oh that person's better than that person therefore yeah. they're more likely to get funding and I, I'd say for universities it's also a useful metric to judge for promotion and I've heard that before. I think in 
George Hirsch's article, the guy H-Index is named after, I'm pretty sure uh, in his initial paper, he said something about, you know, it could be used that way. So if you're trying to go for tenure or, you know, a permanent position and you're in physics and you've got an H-Index of 12, yep. then you should get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. they were created, I think, mm-hmm. so that you can, you can look at a, a spreadsheet of scientists and you don't have to worry about the intricacies of their careers, but you can just scale them, done. Yep. You, you know, you've got a, you've got yeah. instant comparison. And I can understand why they've done it, but it really does. It really misses a lot of uh, what makes someone a good scientist. You could easily employ someone who turns out to be rubbish mm. yeah. based on those but metrics exactly, and miss yes. someone who is actually really, really good. Yeah. That and is going to happen. I mean, a metric makes things easier, but what about like a field that doesn't even have a, a metric? So how, if I'm a secretary, applying ah, for a yeah. job, right, right, right. then it's really just going on experience. Like, I worked here, I worked here, I worked yeah. here. You're not really being given a score in sure. that job. So how how can you then, you know, you're really relying on word of mouth or for some reason yeah. they like you. Yep. Yeah. Because if I'm, if I'm doing a job application, so in, in our field, you're probably getting like 50 or so applicants. Yep. And they need to find a way to... To cut people out. Yeah, I do. I do worry that it's oversimplistic, and that the older school academics put much more weight on it, or mm-hmm. rely well, on it much more. That's because it's stronger for them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. 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 So, H index is how a scientist and scientists are ranked. Mm-hmm. Um, with all of the H index, we've, we're interplaying really with journals and citations and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So, Cameron, how do we decide whether or not a journal is good or not? Well, the easiest way is just to look at the journal's impact factor. And so, what is the impact one, factor? That value is the number of um, citations that journal has received, I think, over the last five years, yeah. divided by the number of articles that is published. So it's okay. kind of like a an average of expected citations per article, mm-hmm. and and so the the higher number, the more citations per article. Yep. And so us as authors want to publish into a journal that gets more citations because it's more prestigious. We're then more likely to get citations ourselves. Yep. And, and, and people really sort of love, they love to drop in that they're in nature or science or yeah. penis or all of those things. <laughs> nature right? scientific reports. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Um, but people love that. Yeah. And so is there any limit to that number? To, mm. the, to the impact factor? Mm. What's the highest? I mean, the, the highest I've heard of is maybe um, like chemical reviews goes up to 40. Uh, it's down to 37 now. Okay. okay. Oh, they lost. But, but nature or science would be in the 30s. Yeah. Okay. And that is, they're considered the most prestigious. Okay. So for a good impact factor journal, we're looking about sort of mid to late 30s. For, for, for superior. For that superior. Is, yeah. okay, That's the right, kind of yeah. journal you publish in, in nature or science and it changes your career. Yeah. Which is really odd, but that's that's yeah. the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And on the other end, is there a limit to how small it gets? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've published in a <laughs> uh, journal that has uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I know the impact factor is a fraction of one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen the point point four exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think. I mean, any time it's really less than say two, mm. we would really consider almost not 
submitting it, which yep. is funny when we consider how happy we are with our paper in Review of Scientific Instruments. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that, that is a brilliant segue uh-huh. into what I was going to say. So, so it's, that's a really interesting journal because Cameron's quite right. If uh, when we do our work, we wouldn't go for that journal. We would have, we would try and publish it in a journal like Nanotechnology, maybe you know the cantilever work. That's that's where we'd go, and that's got an impact factor above three, right? But um, the the guy who ran the project, John Sader, he publishes in Review Scientific Instruments a lot. Yeah, and I actually looked up his his record in that journal. He's got fourteen papers in that journal with over two thousand citations. Oh, right. Wow. It's incredible. He's got one paper with over a thousand citations and yeah. a number of them in the hundreds. So even though it's got an impact factor of 1.366, he, th- that, that journal has by far garnered him the most citations and he's published in Nano Letters, Nature, ACS Nano. Right, much better impact much, yeah. factors. Ten yeah. times or more yeah. the impact factor of, of review scientific instruments. Mm. So it, it is not always the case that low impact factor will result in low citations. Yeah. So once again, the, all of these numbers have to be taken with a grain of, with a grain yeah, of salt. Yeah, sure. But the impact factor is still definitely mm-hmm. varying with field. So the yeah. review scientific instruments is, good, is, is an example where that really is a paper where people are trying to invent new instruments or improve instruments. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. really a sexy net like, Nanomaterials. Yeah, Anyone else think nanomaterials is sexy? Oh yeah, <laughs> Rev Sciencestrum turns me on. Yeah. I can't deny it. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So in the in the yeah. field that like uh, the rest, we we would re- more generally, it's uh, much more popular field. So there are a lot more people working in the field to get a lot more citations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and so people say in biology where they they it just doesn't really happen. So oh, a good okay. journal in some other fields, physics, biology would have a lower average impact factor. Yeah, because the science isn't sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there are some other metrics that can be used. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And so a, a, a one that's gaining, and I actually have been asked to give this value before uh, when I say like what journals I've published in, is yeah. the Eigen factor. Ooh, Eigen? Eigen. 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 Well, Eigen just sounds like a, like a Z-rate porn star. And so here... <laughs> Here, what you're looking at is you're looking at the eigenfactor yeah. uh, of the f- of the different journals in your field. So you want a high ranking in the eigenfactor. So if my right. field is materials, yes, you look, look then you're not you're kind of getting a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. For how good their eigenfactor yeah. is. Is it Mister Eigen come up with this? Besides, do you know where the name come from? Um, you know, eigenvectors are something in mathematics. Oh, Chris, so maybe it's you a would have learned about that kind of yep, thing. Yep, I know all about that stuff. All right, where's where's that come from then? Comes from a guy called Carl Eigen. All right, uh, and so here. The site, like it's pretty much the citations divided by um, publications thing again. Yeah. Except citations from higher ranked journals count more. Uh, ooh, okay. Ooh. All right. So and you so get a double whammy of having first published in a higher journal. Yeah. But then also if those higher journals cite you, yep. then it's more prestigious. Yes. Okay. And so that's going from the rank of it in that Eigen field. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that's kind of maybe trying to stop Chris's idea of getting your journals into a conference proceeding. 
Yeah. And then using that to citation farm. So they would get a very low rank. Ah, very good. And so they wouldn't count as much in the Eigen factor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah, I'd never heard about Mr. Eigen yeah. and his or Dr. Eigen and his his Carl Eigen. Carl Eigen, I think um, he said it yeah. was. I made that up, I'm sorry. Now, just very quickly, loads of people are very disgruntled by all of this. They don't like these metrics, and they certainly aren't up to date with the interwebs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chris? They mm-hmm. don't, Chris, mm-hmm. they don't capture <laughs> yes. Twitter, which may take a certain paper and, mm-hmm. and go, wow, yeah, Twitter loves this. Yep. Facebook, um, blogging, like all of that stuff, you know, and actual downloads. S- downloads. Well done, Chris. I'm, I'm interested. It's interesting you said it as two separate words, but that's fine. <laughs> well, I'll take it. As, it still spells uh, it with a dash. Uh, yeah, that's it's, right. It's, yeah. it's text speak. <laughs> um, so there's lots of other people. And the, the, the one that I found the most interesting and seems to be the most widely used is this thing called alt metrics. Mm. And they are metrics and qualitative data that are complementary to traditional citation-based metrics. Okay. So it's looking at this um, other impact, this other social impact. Um, they can include peer reviews on a faculty of 1,000. I think that's a, that must be something we don't, I don't know about. Uh, uh, yeah. What is it? I think it's like a online like discussion board. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia. Oh, because wow. now everyone's using bloody Wikipedia to yeah. get their information. Yeah. Um, in public policy documents, which is really important, so then you actually have a proper policy social impact of your paper. Uh, discussions on research blogs, mainstream media coverage, bookmarks on reference managers like Mendeley and was it EndNote, hmm. um, and mentions on social networks such as Twitter. Mm-hmm. And now what we're doing is we're using our, the internet to to, our, to its best, really. Mm. And we're using big data and mining that data to say, okay, I've produced a paper. Sure, it may only get two or three sites in other journals, but Twitter fucking loved it. Yep. Because mm. it was about dicks and bees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I think people are, are catching up slowly with the technology. Um and you know does that mean I have to get a Twitter account eventually? I do not want you to have a Twitter account. <laughs> How many characters are you allowed? Is it three or four? Yeah, one hundred and forty, like a text. Jesus. Do you remember texts? Yeah, but the old metrics is another thing that could just be spammed once people. If that's oh, absolutely, that I mean, could be spammed worse than exactly. The yeah, next. no, I completely oh, agree. Yeah, yeah. It could be manipulated. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. you yeah. just need to send out the bots to retweet your tweet. <laughs> Our next section is Science This, where we use our transferable science skills to science the shit out of an everyday activity. And today, our everyday activity, and it should be an everyday activity, yes. is sleep. Mm. Mm. So there is, because when I first proposed this, there is a lot of sleep science. Yes. It's, actual, it's actually like a whole subset, it's a whole field mm. of science. So I was about to change it, and then I thought, no. I won't. No, I think sleep's a good one. Sleep's a (laughs) good one. All right, good. I'm I'm glad you think that. (laughs) Who wants to go first? I came up with a brilliant idea. Oh, Will I go first? Yeah. Yeah, All right. How would I science sleep? Right. How many Chris Gibsons are we going to know? Yeah, how many? (laughs) All right. No clones of Chris Gibson and no fucking robots. Oh, well, I'm fucked there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just just relax the robot rule. One second. <laughs> right. I am transferring my consciousness oh, onto Christ. an artificial substrate 
or in the um, in the colloquial term robot, and therefore with my consciousness in a machine that is nuclear fusion powered and or solar powered, I am not sleeping at motherfucking all. So the way I science sleep is no I get more rid sleep. of it. It's gone. <laughs> sleep is gone. No, but that's because you now you don't exist. Um, well, I mean that that's now we're talking about you know are, are are you real if your consciousness is transferred to a machine? Are you still you? No. Do you think? I think so. If you would there, have a conversation with robot <laughs> me, if you would have a conversation with robot me, you would not be able to distinguish between. So a what's robot that me test called? The Turing, Turing test. Turing test. Yeah. So it passes the Turing test. Passes the Gibson Turing test, which is a new <laughs> branch of that. It's a new one. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, What's the difference? Uh, well, in the Gibson Turing test, you would not be able to discern the difference between talking to me or the machine intelligence. Any other Turing test could just be an old joker. The first thing it says is, on web of silence or databases, you know, oh, for fuck's sake, Chris, all right, it's you. I exactly, it. exactly. You'd be like, oh, do you know anything about cantilevers? Well... Motherfucker, here we go. Yeah, here we go. I like to see it. The robot, like, you're just sitting there. The robot just has a little jig and starts dancing. You're like, what happened, robot Chris? <laughs> Got a sight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like my robot voice. I like the way it, it, didn't, it didn't go beep and not make a beep noise. It just goes beep. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I oh, would still sound like me because that voice would give it away that it wasn't. That me. does sound like Robot Chris. <laughs> beep. So uh, I'm eliminating to, sleep from the yeah. equation. That's what I'm doing. All right, well um, done, Chris yeah. Cameron. All right, so I'm trying to go back to basics of science. Yeah, thanks. Which which is just like you know, we need it. Applying, <laughs> a, thinking of a hypothesis and then testing it. Yeah, excellent. And Boring. So at the moment, <laughs> robots, robots. <laughs> I got Ben from doing robots. <laughs> so I would like to know like what my optimal amount of sleep is per night. Right. So you're talking individually? Yeah. Or I mean, on average for the humans? Well, I mean, I'll do it for myself, but okay. I think it's probably... I mean, it's good to get a big sample set, but there's so many variables between each person. Not if you clone yourself. Not if you clone yourself. <laughs> Jesus. Oi, pipe down. You're really interrupting tonight. You calm down over there. He's so happy after his announcement. He is, yeah. <laughs> he can't do wrong. I reckon right. he's had sex in the last couple of days as well. That's it's why he's father, so chirpy. It's Father's Day on Sunday. <laughs> do you want to hear about my Father's Day later? Anyway, keep going. So I'd like to like say do a week of... Always sleeping eight hours. Yeah. Uh, do some test. Yeah. Maybe first thing in the morning. See yep. how well I do. Some kind of like brain training, but then I don't want to get better at it over time. Mm-hmm. I know it's very difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. And then it would be good to know really the minimum for the hours in a night. Yep. And Before then the, you start losing some function, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it would be good to be as active as possible. And of course, sleep does something to the brain. You know, some things repair, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. things... Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. the the energy zone of the brain is replenished. <laughs> your third eye is <laughs> replenished. Your chi and your katra. Yeah, yeah. And so I could do that one. And the other option is like the the twenty minutes of sleep per four hours. Yeah, the kind of I've thing heard that I think that. Yeah. you know they're saying Leonardo da Vinci did and Kramer tried it yeah. in Seinfeld. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Mm. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to do something like that. Mm, I think, um, yeah, I think you've done well there, actually. And so I did look up some like effects of sleep deprivation. Yep. And apparently if you're in wake for 17 hours, yeah. you're kind of, your cognitive abilities are about the same as if you've had two drinks of alcohol. Oh. So you're like, you'd be over That's the limit quite, to yeah, drive. Yeah. And one morning, actually, I stayed up all night long watching cricket. Right. And then I decided not to work the next day because I felt drunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I wrote like, uh, you know, I write to the, the boss saying I'm not coming in because I'm sick. Yep. And then I write to my office mate saying I'm not coming in because I'm so tired I feel drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. That's a new one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that's, yeah. a good one. that's a good one. And so, th- you know, the record for how long someone's Ooh, been awake for? I want to guess. Uh, I think it's 40 hours. Nope. Uh, uh, I'd go for. So I think you die after about a week. So I'd say 100 hours? Um. Uh, no, uh, longer. Whoa. Shit. How long? So someone's just stayed. So God, I, there's Jesus. a bit of. The, there's one, I think the one, the official one, according to Wiki, is where they were in a lab and they were being observed the whole time. Yeah. But there's unofficial breaking. I think it was 260 hours, oh, which is 11 shit. days. Shit. Oh, that's too long to be awake. I get Jesus. annoyed after like 13 hours. But they'd be psychotic by the end of it. Well, yeah. I mean, I couldn't find like any refereed uh, published articles yeah, on this, but yeah, it's. Yeah. I read that at, at one point he was convinced that he was a famous football player. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> You're just going to yeah. stay awake for 11 days. <laughs> Jesus. I get that feeling after being awake for one hour. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So Andy, what do yeah. you got? I, so I went down a very similar path. I had um, so one thing about sleep for me is that the environment in which I'm sleeping is everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Like any little noise, especially a bloody snorer, mm. will make my blood pressure rise, and I won't be able to get to sleep. Like yep. just, I need to have dark, and I need to have quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a sleeping pod. Okay. Oh, mm. like a completely a sealed isolation. Sleep, an isolation thing. Okay, yeah. Cool. So it's got a nice mattress. It's got all of that. And in there, because of course, sleep is determined, you know, I guess, largely by hormones. So like oh. the release of like re- relaxation hormones or like, uh, like antihistamine type things can make you fall asleep. Yeah. So what it does is this pod just sort of like... Uh, just releases some of these nice hormones into the air uh-huh. and you breathe them in and you go to sleep and it's all nice and the pod essentially um controls the environment in which you sleep it does it chemically as well so it, it balances all the like all the nice hormones and stuff mm-hmm. but also if we take the scientific method what you can do is over say a week it can do what cameron what you were saying yeah is it can optimize for you but, the mm. perfect combination of all these things yeah and it measures and i guess in the morning you'd have to i don't know do some sort of test for it yeah do some, um, maths. Do some maths yeah you wake up and it's like five times six mm. I definitely want a catheter installed because I tend to go to the toilet a bit during the night because I'm getting old. So something that that would remove the the waste. Are you just constantly dripping? Well, no, not 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 constant. The the normal amount for a man my age, (laughs) sixty. Couple couple of drops per hour. So yeah, so we had hormones. White noise is very important. I think is that kind of nice noise like that. 
Oh, you it's like kind of that? A, yeah, I kind of like it. Yeah, it's just above nothing. Just above nothing. Okay. Just yeah. to mask over, like just to kind of like gloss over the little noises, you know. So is the pod like a sen- sensory deprivation tank? Essentially, kind of yeah. So you, you, because you, the, I think they also get people to float in body temperature salt water. For yeah. yeah. So you feel like you're okay. floating. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've done two of those. Yeah. Yeah. And did you see any? You're I supposed think to I, hallucinate. Well, aren't you? you don't, and no. I think I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but you were wanting to, I imagine, when you. Yeah, it was kind of nice. You just float. I was completely nude, and you float in a nice salty body temperature bath solution, and yeah. it was just really nice. And you float, mm. and it's quiet. And did you no, leave any liquids behind in the water? Well, I do fart in my sleep, so <laughs> I wonder if I left. Uh, I don't know a little fart smell in yeah. there. The person next was like, "Oh, chlorine and." Do they drain it between? <laughs> no, because customers? there's so much salt in there. There's like 300 kilograms of salt, oh. which is like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. So there's a series of complex filters, which removes the impurities but leaves the salt. Hmm. Sure it does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> One thing it doesn't remove is pubes. As <laughs> I was floating in my pubes. Um, yeah. So I got a fun little game. So. Um, these are some signs that you might not be getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And I want you to say yes or no as I go through them. And then we'll make sure you get more sleep if you say Let's yes. Let's jump to, to the end and say, I'm not getting enough. Yeah. Well, we can say now just by the look of your eyes, Chris, we just know you're not getting me. enough. Just look yeah. At me. You're a mess. Yeah. Anyway. All right. You fall asleep in less than five minutes of going to bed. Yes. No. You need an alarm clock and or use the snooze button often. Yes. I use an alarm clock, but I never press snooze. Oh, you're so good. I always press snooze. Oh, I love it. Uh, you get sleepy during the day. Yes. Uh, yeah. Get sleepy during times of inactivity or while driving. No. During activity, yes. Inactivity. Inactivity, sorry, yes. Driving, no. I'm fairly alert then. All right. Fall asleep watching TV or reading. How often? When it's not your intent. Well, I've done it before. Yeah. I haven't done that for a while, but yes, uh, for a while there I was doing it regularly, yeah. yeah. Get sleepy after meals. Yeah. Nope. Doze off for very short periods of time during the day. <laughs> Chris, I've seen, I'm sure I've seen you do this. No. <laughs> when I'm on the AFM, I do, yeah. No, 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 yes, that does happen to me as well, yeah. Have a hard time concentrating or remembering things. What was that? Dad joke! <laughs> I knew it. As soon as I read it, I knew it was going to come up. Karen? No. Uh just feel plain sluggish and tired all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's me. No. No. Right, Cameron, you're fine. Chris, <laughs> sort your life out, mate. In fact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Music is provided by the excellent Adelaide bass band Voice From. As always, check out their stuff on their Bandcamp website. Also, remember to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, like our Facebook page, join in the forum, and leave us on a review on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast. Cameron, sponsor for the week. You were just listening to Published Perishable Podcast. It was brought to you this week by our future sponsor, Wikipedia, because we all did a whole lot of searching on some of the things this week. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and and like during the day in our lives as well. Like, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. That's where all knowledge comes from. Thanks, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. We love you. Yeah. All, right. all right, final farewell. Never leave us. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.